coming up. D-backs once again with the crazy comeback, discussing it next. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Diabacks podcast. I'm your host, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account. Or just look up Locked on Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. As I mentioned, we are going to be talking about the D-backs game in this first segment. In segment number two and number three, we're going to be talking to Sully Baseball about the value of veteran players on a major league roster. Are they helpful or how helpful are they actually? That's the question Sully and I are going to be asking ourselves in segment number two and number three. But I first want to talk about the D-backs game against the Kansas City Royals, the second game of the series, the final game of the series, because I'm recording this at 10 o'clock on the dot. The D-backs game ended like 20 minutes ago, and usually I have more energy than this. It just, I'm a little tired today, but the D-backs, they gave me a boost of energy late in that game because the D-backs had another fantastic comeback. I guess we should call the D-backs the comeback kid because they win this game 8-6. to six. Zach Gallon was on the mound. Not the best Zach Gallon start. And this was just another game showing supreme resilience by the D-backs. Listen, I know. I know it was against the Kansas City Royals. I know the Royals are not a good team, but I do not care. I don't think people realize. The D-backs, I know D-backs fans realize this, but people outside of D-backs fans and D-backs nation don't understand this. The D-backs won 52 games last year, so we're going to be very hyped when the D-backs have comebacks like this, when they enter June as a 500 team, maybe better than 500 team when they have these incredible comebacks. Like We're going to be happy as D-backs fans because we went through misery last season. People don't understand that. We were one of the worst teams in baseball. We were the worst team in baseball entering the last game of the season, and then the D-backs decided to have a walk-off home run, and they lose the number one overall pick. The D-backs put us through the ringer last season so I'm very happy and I'm very hyped with how this early part of the season has gone so far because the D-backs after beating the Royals in a two-game series they're now one game above 500 they have now won five straight ball games and I know like I said the Royals are not a good team the D-backs have beat up on a lot of bad teams this season the D-backs are 15 and 7 against below 500 teams this year 15 and 7 against below 500 teams this year. And guess what? I don't care. Like I've said before multiple times on this podcast, if you want to be a team that makes a postseason, then you have to beat the bad teams. That's a great barometer to actually deciding if your team is good or not. If you're a good, quality, competitive team, you should beat the worst teams of baseball. And that's what the D-backs did in the last two games. But it wasn't easy because... The the D-backs had Zach Gallon on the mound, so I thought it was going to be an easy win today, and it was not because Gallon had his worst start of the season, and I have to give the Royals lineup credit because 
at top of the Royals lineup has been putting in work the last couple of days with how they've approached the play. I mean, a lot of hard contact at the top of the lineup. And if you look at Gallon today, that fastball and changeup he had gave up a lot of hard contact. Average exit velocity of 95 miles per hour, at least on that fastball and changeup by Zach Gallon. But he was, I mean, despite giving up all that hard contact, there was positives in Zach Allen's game like he was able to generate strikes he had 26 called strikes plus whiffs in this game that is a ton for a pitcher but it didn't matter because the Royals were able to lock in with two strikes and Gallon ended up I think I counted four two strike hits in this game I think two of them ended up in run scoring for the Kansas City Royals so Gallon was able to generate the strikes that wasn't the problem. It was putting away the hitters that was the problem. And Gallon enters the game with a 1.14 ERA. I think he had to pitch like five and two thirds innings to qualify for the MLB lead. But he ends up just pitching five and a third and he leaves with a 2.2 ERA, I believe. Actually, let me double check that to make sure I got the right one. Yeah, he leaves with 2.2. Two ERA, so still a great ERA by Zach Gallon, but definitely jumped a point because of the four earned runs he gives up. But it does not matter because the D-backs offense, like I said, showed resilience once again because this was a back and forth nip and tuck game. The D-backs offense actually got this. Uh, uh, the D-backs offense actually got it going first before the Kansas City Royals because Dalton Varsho started the game with a leadoff bomb, the first leadoff bomb of the season for Varsho, and the first leadoff home run by catcher in D-backs franchise history because. Dalton Varsho is a freak of nature and there's no I can guarantee you there was no catcher like Dalton Varsho um, in the D-backs franchise history before he arrived so that's why Varsho had the first leadoff home run by catching D-backs franchise history he's a freak of nature but this was a back and forth game I mean the D-backs they took the early lead off that Varsho run. Then the Royals take the lead in the second inning. D-backs tied up in the second. Royals take the lead again in the third. D-backs tied up in the fourth. So you're entering the sixth inning. The D-backs the and Royals both don't score in the fifth. You're entering the sixth inning. That's where Zach Gallon really falls apart. He leaves with two men on second and third. Joe Mantiply comes in the game. He's been fantastic the last two years I heard the broadcast say like something about he he's only allowed like five of his 60 batteries he's faced in the last two years some crazy number like that to score like inherited runners do not score with Joe Mantiply that's been one of his bread and butters this season he's been every starter's best friend out the bullpen because if you leave men on Mantiply usually puts them away and he was able to get the first out when he came in because there was one out already on the board he was able to get the second out of the inning and after that, he gives up the single up the middle, two-run scores. That goes against Zach Gallen, and unfortunately, Gallen leaves, and that ERA jumps a point, but it does not matter because, like I said, the D-backs offense had Gallen's back, so in that bottom of the sixth inning, what happens? D-backs are down 6-3. to three. We're like, Gallen, he gets rocked. He leaves with a three-run deficit, the worst Zach Gallen start of the season. It's not what we want to see as D-backs fans, and Actually, Gallon gives up six earned runs, not four earned runs. Gallon gives up six earned runs. I forget to add the two earned runs that, because um, he left with four earned runs, but I always forget to add the two after Mantiply comes in. So Gallon gives up six earned runs. The D-backs are down six to three, entering the bottom of the six. You're like, man, the comeback is going to be tough now because at least in the last few games, the first game against the Kansas City Royals, the last couple games against the Chicago Cubs, the D-backs made their comeback early in that game. By the fourth inning, the D-backs had already tied it up or taken the lead, maybe by the fifth inning. Now the D-backs are going to have to do it a little bit later in the ball game than usual, and they were able to do it all in the sixth inning. I mean, they go down three runs in that sixth inning, and they get them 
all back because Jordan Luplo comes up to the plate. Second pinch hit home run this season. Three-run shot, ties it up, and then Paven Smith, after Dalton Varshow gets on base, he hits a two-run bomb. The D-backs end up hitting four home runs in this game. Paven Smith has been hot recently. He is eight for his last 27 with three bombs in his last eight games. He has five home runs in the month of May. His previous high in a month was just four, so Paven Smith might, might, Paven Smith might shatter his single-season career high for home runs. And then... When you look at all the home runs that happened in this game, there's four of them. The D-backs now in the month of May, we just talked about Paven Smith, how he has five home runs in the month of May, career high. The D-backs as a team have 33 home runs in the month of May, the most in the National League. And if you just want to go through today's home runs, how far they traveled, how hard was it off the bat? Dalton Varsho, his home run that started the game, 444 feet, the same amount of feet as Paven Smith's bomb yesterday, 104.8 miles an hour off the bat. Luplo's bomb, 408 feet, 108.8 miles per hour off the bat, the hardest hit of the four home runs today. Paven Smith's home run was 102.4 miles per hour off the bat, 415 feet, while David Peralta's was 102. 0.3 miles per hour and 108 feet. And Ketel Marte kept his hitting streak alive as well. He now has a seven-game hitting streak where he's batting like over 400 during that streak with like a, a 1,100 OPS, something crazy. So the D-backs offense looked wonderful once again. And we also, we can gloss over the fact that the D-backs bullpen, Mark Melanson, Ian Kendi, they both went out there and they both put up zeros on the scorecard. Mantiply, I mean, yeah, he, he gave up the inherited runners to score, but that was about it. Nora Ramirez did his job as well. So the bullpen, once again, another great performance by them. The offense makes another incredible comeback. And now it's time to hand out our three stars of the game. I think the first star has to go to Dalton Varsho, who had the leadoff home run in the game. It had to strike him out, throw him out in the seventh inning. He also was one of the runs that scored once the D-backs took the lead in the sixth inning. And also, I just feel bad for Dalton Varsho because he's going to wake up with a nasty bruise tomorrow after that 100-mile-an-hour grounder off the bat of Ketel Marte hit Dalton Varsho's leg, so I kind of feel bad for Dalton Varsho, so he gets one star of the day. Second star of the day is going is gonna go to Jordan Luplo, who came in the clutch, pinch hit home run. That's not easy to do. I think hitting, I think just getting a pinch hit hit is one of the hardest things to do in baseball, just because you're kind of out of rhythm. You're like, yeah, just go get a bat and go in the game in a high leverage moment. I don't think that's easy to do, and Luplo has done it twice this season, so he gets the second star. And the third star of the game goes to a man who has home runs in back-to-back games. Paven Smith, he puts the D-backs in front with a two-run bomb. And think about it. David Peralta also hit a home run in this game. We'd even talk about that. Like the D-backs put in major work in this game offensively. I was only able to hand out three stars. So Paven, Smith, Dalton Varsho, and I'm already blanking on who my other star was. Paven Smith, Dalton Varsho, and uh, Jordan Luplo. I don't know why I couldn't remember Jordan Luplo. So those are my three stars of the game. Thank you to the D-backs for taking down the Kansas City Royals. I know they were lowly, but this was much-needed momentum entering the Dodgers series. The D-backs have an off day on Wednesday, but they should still have the momentum riding a five-game hit streak. They already beat the LA Dodgers once a season in their first series of the year. They got swept in a four-game series the second time. Another four-game series against the Dodgers this weekend, so hopefully the D-backs can get their revenge for the second time this season. Now we'll talk to Sully Baseball about the value of veterans on a major league roster, but 
With spring in the air, it's time for renewal and growth. Personally and professionally, as your small business grows, LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidate you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MLB. That's linkedin.com slash MLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, all right, all right. Let's talk to Sully Baseball. Uh, a couple of the games I want to bring up. The uh, <laughs> the Red Sox had an incredibly weird four-game sweep of the Seattle Mariners. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a bunch of the games, the Red Sox fell behind really badly, like by five runs, by four runs, only to pick themselves up and score a pile of runs. Thanks in f- part because... Trevor Story hit five home runs in the series. The guy was getting booed out of town. People were comparing him to Carl Crawford and other people who busted with the yeah. Red Sox. And so he had a three home run game, then another go ahead home run, and then he had another go. I mean, it just he just was a machine. Uh, and the Red Sox wound up today. It felt like they had a five run lead, and said they only had a one run lead as they just kept you know leaving runners on base. Seattle tied the game in the ninth, took the lead in the tenth with their ghost runner scoring and the Red Sox scored their ghost runner. And then Franchi Cordero hit a walk-off grand slam, take that ghost runner. And the Red Sox wound up with a weird eight to four win. And when that was over, I flipped immediately to the Dodger game. And I thought, I wonder if that game could end any weirder. And it did uh, as the Phillies tied the game in the ninth. And then in what should have been an inning, an inning, ending, a game ending ground out to Max Muncie, he booted the ball and the tying and winning runs came in to score, and the Philadelphia Phillies won, ending the Dodgers' winning streak, and for at least for a day, preserving Joe Girardi's job. So, uh, and and one other thing to note is that uh, the uh, Yankees got swept in a doubleheader by the White Sox. In the doubleheader, they scored a combined one run, a home run by Aaron Judge. Uh, Aroldis Chapman blew the save. All right, actually, no, uh, correction. He didn't blow the save. The game was tied in the ninth. Uh, he but he left a home run to uh, A.J. Pollock, and then they scored another run. Sorry. And then um, uh, the the White Sox, it was a scoreless game on Sunday Night Baseball, and the White Sox scored five runs in the eighth. Five-nothing was the final. I want to bring up something in that first game, however. The Johnny Cueto pitched for the White Sox. In his first game, he pitched six shutout innings against his former team, the Kansas City Royals. We won a World Series with the Royals in 2015 and threw the last complete game in the World Series. And today he faced the Yankees, a team that seemed to be able to score at will. And 
they uh, he shut them out. So he's, he has not allowed a run in his two outings with the Chicago White Sox. And it's pitched very well, thank you very much, in both of those games. And he was he was let go by the Giants. The Giants didn't bring him back. And he's had injury issues and everything. He's not a spring chicken anymore. But he's also, when healthy, an outstanding pitcher, an all-star many times over, a Cy Young runner-up when he was with Cincinnati. Uh, as I said, through the last complete game in the World Series was when he was pitching for Kansas City. Had, had some very good seasons with San Francisco. You have a guy with a tremendous pedigree who was just floating out there, and the White Sox took a flyer on him. And even if he doesn't do this the whole season, having someone pick up part of their rotation for a chunk of the year helps. You know, it, it, he gives, he's given him two quality starts. He's two for two. And a lot of times in spring training, you see there's a lot of major league players who are available, who never get signed. And I'm a big believer in filling up your roster with major leaguers and at least giving major leaguers a shot because, you know, sometimes they can help. And the White Sox may have stumbled across a solid piece of their rotation by giving a flyer on maybe not a Cy Young candidate anymore, but maybe still a good major leaguer in Johnny Cueto. Yeah, I agree to a certain you know extent. I think it <clears throat> really depends on the player. Someone like Johnny Cueto, I mean, if you look at his numbers since 2016, he really hasn't been that good. He has like one good season. Maybe that first year where San Fran was maybe his only good season. He was solid last year in San Fran as well. But overall, since 2016, Johnny Cueto has been eh, kind of mid. Maybe as a back end starter, as an innings eater, if you're you know if you're like the New York Mets and someone went down, like you had your top three starters of the Mets just go down. Maybe signing someone like Johnny Cueto to eat some innings into like a Scherzer or a Degrom comes back maybe it's a good idea in that kind of situation but overall if i'm a team like the d-backs or the orioles or you know kind of these average to below average teams like i don't need a johnny cueto on my team if i'm the cincinnati reds the pittsburgh pirates those rancid teams like you talked about i don't need a johnny cueto if i'm a great team yeah he's good insurance like i said if someone gets injured like the new york mets just had this past couple weeks but overall someone like johnny cueto like you know what he is so if you're a team that can use the extra help in the insurance. Yeah, sure. Why not go for it? But if you're just the team that is on the borderline of making the postseason or nowhere near it, like Johnny Cueto is not going to do much for your services unless you think he's going to come in and mentor the young guys. That's the only way he can help your team. Otherwise, Johnny Cueto, like he is what he is at this point, and most players are like the Justin Uptons who just got signed by the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, he could still be a good platoon guy, but Justin Upton really make an impact for your team? Probably not. That's why I think a lot of these teams would rather just go see what their young guys have and just live off that potential and the theoretical what can be as opposed to going with the Uptons and the Johnny Cuetos, who we already know what they are at age 35 plus. Sully and I will continue that conversation, but I first want to say thank you for making Locked On Dimebacks your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Now podcast. Recaps of MLB games with analysis from our local experts, taking fans to the season like no other network, free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, all right, all right. Let's wrap up the pod. Well, I mean, the only thing I'd say to that is sometimes you would have it, it sometimes may help a team build up some of their young players if they know there's a couple of spots, like maybe in the rotation or on the field, where they don't have to uh, worry so much about one turn of the rotation, one spot in the lineup. 
if I have a team that has a lot of young pitchers, I would want a really good, solid veteran shortstop behind them because I'd want to make sure if, if you have a player who's going to hit a lot of ground balls that you don't have someone still learning the position behind them. That way maybe they'll get more confidence and, and work on there. I, I think a team like the White Sox who – who have who who their postseason or bust this year? I mean, they look at the they went into this year as the consensus pick to win the American League Central. I didn't pick the, I didn't pick the Twins to win the Central. I picked the White Sox to win the Central. Mm-hmm. And th- this was a year where they're like, okay, we got talent on our team. We made the postseason last year. Won a game against Houston, but now the you know two straight years from the playoffs. Now they want to make a run at it to then make sure that those spots are filled by some people who have been there, done that. Yeah. There's going to be plenty of young players on the white Sox, but I also think there's something to be said about having a veteran. And also if you have, if you pick up a player for virtually nothing and you are a team like Pittsburgh or your team that's, that doesn't really have any hope going forward. And you have someone like Quato give you a couple of turns in the rotation, which may rub off on some of the young players or something like that. If they play well, and you get even a middling prospect in exchange at, at the trade deadline. Well, you know, that's better than nothing. That's like you may be able to, you know, that person may not be able to, you're not going to get an impact blue chipper, but maybe you could, you know, I don't know. It, 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 you'd be getting something for nothing, basically. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, the way baseball trades work is so weird. Like a lot of times you think you get like a middling prospect if a guy like Johnny Cueto ends up being uh, performing well. But a lot of times you just end up getting like maybe the hundredth best prospect in someone's organization or someone who had just signed in the international market who's 16 years old and is eight years away from making his major league debut. Like when the D-backs trade away Eduardo Espar, it's not like they got back a middling prospect. Like they got back Cooper Hummel, who's like, an, you know, uh, even lower than a middling prospect probably and someone else in that deal. So a lot of these times when you trade like a pretty good player, like you're not even getting back a middling prospect. When the D-back traded Starling Marte, they got back Caleb Smith and Luis Frias. Maybe one of those guys are a middling prospect. But even if you get that back, it's not like that's really gonna help your team in the long run like they're middling prospect for a reason and it's already hard for you blue chippers to really hit if you're just trading for middling prospects i don't think you're really going anywhere as an organization as a whole anyway so maybe it's good to get the johnny cuetos as you talk about just to maybe get the value back in a trade but i don't think in reality that's actually going to be there once you actually look at the trade market i do the one i will say that there is i am a big believer in if you are trying to put together a winning club by handing jobs to established major, at least giving the established major leaguers a shot. I mean, we did see that last year with Atlanta when their entire outfield fell apart and they brought in, uh, who was it? Uh, Soleil and Rosario and Duval. Yeah. Soleil, Rosario and Peterson. Yeah. On all yeah, three so four, yeah. Four. It's good. Duval yeah. too. They got. Yeah. And they, all four of those outfielders wound up, all contributing in that postseason, you know, yep. obviously you got two MVPs out of that, but, but, you know, they, by making sure at each position, you have a big leaguer in that, I think that helped them. And I think that there's sometimes when you see, I mean, we joked about on, on last week's episode that you could be looking at the pirates and said, is this the pirates player or is this from hardball? Hard you know, which, you know, when you have a, yeah, it's great when you have a team full of young players who suddenly blossom. That's a great thing. But more often than not, they flop, and you basically have a minor league team playing major league games. Uh, you know, yeah. I think that there's something to be said about 
having someone who may have a chip on the shoulder. I mean, the Red Sox, when they put together the 2013 team, yes, they still had Ortiz and Pedroia and John Lester. They, I mean, they had some – and Jacoby Ellsbury. They still had some major leaguers, quality major leaguers on that team. But they had lost 90-some-odd games the year before, and they brought in the likes of you know, Napoli and Gomes and Victorino and Stephen Drew and Koji Uehara and all these people who all of them worked out for them. And it's not always going to work out that well. But sometimes it's like, well, let's let's fill the gap, fill the spackle with major leaguers, especially when there there's always so many of them available. And you think that maybe one of them will be like, hey, I want to prove to the world I still got it. And yeah. Maybe you can capture lightning in a bottle like that. Yeah, I think the difference is between like the Red Sox and Braves situation as opposed to like Johnny Cueto and Justin Upton. I think there was a lot more left in the tank of those guys that went to the Braves and the Red Sox. Johnny Cueto and the Upton, those guys haven't been good in years. The Victorinos and the Gomes, like those guys were maybe a couple years away. Solaire was like one season away, two seasons away from leading the league in home runs. Eddie Rosario is like a borderline all-star player. Um, like the few years before coming to Atlanta, Duval had 37 bombs before getting traded to Atlanta as well. So I think a lot of those players that went to the Red Sox and Braves to help them win a World Series were like one to two seasons away from being really good players or still in the back end of their careers. Like all those players that went to the Braves last season were between like 28 and 31 years old. Like they weren't old. Those guys that went to the Red Sox, they're a little bit older, but Shane Victorino was still a very productive player. Johnny Gomes is still a very productive player. I just don't know if Johnny Cueto for a full season, Justin Upton for a full season is really giving you the net value that those guys were to those World Series teams. I just don't think they're in the same place of their careers, the Cuetos and the Justin Uptons, as opposed to those other guys on the Braves and Red Sox. So I do agree with your point when you're talking about like the players that went to those Braves and Red Sox, but I don't think that point applies to the Uptons and the Cuetos, just because I think they're in a different point of their career. That's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. We should be talking to Rylan Styles of Locked on Royals about this series. We'll rip him for his terrible Royals team. And I'll, I'll probably admit that I called his team doo-doo on a pod the other day. So we'll talk about everything pertaining to this series tomorrow with Rylan Styles. As always, come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!